it's a really interesting relationship to see because everything that's going on between them is clearly understood between them but never explicitly stated they know they could make each other happier they know that there's something deeper going on here they know that their partners are a hot ass mess they know they really don't want the marriages that they're in or they would want their partners not that they don't that that barb doesn't love bill but she doesn't love polygamy not that joey doesn't love wanda but he doesn't love the burden of her mental illness everyone this is alex and this is em welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is a podcast for nostalgic gen x and millennials and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we love what we hate and what was just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a bit of rewriting where necessary for much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode bonuses, curated playlists, movie reviews, season finale episodes, and pilot episode reviews, and much, much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. On today's episode, we'll be diving into the tales of the Henriksen family, the stars of the HBO family drama Big Love. Lasting five seasons on any network is nothing to sneeze at, but doing it at HBO is definitely indicative of a quality series, and Big Love was absolutely that. Big Love is a series about polygamist Bill Henriksen and his three wives. The show's premise is exciting enough, but a premise can only hold an audience's attention for so long. What was it about Big Love that kept us coming back for more, and what makes it continue to stand out among other family dramas to this day? Stay tuned. you guys here's some critical information about big love as we said it is a drama family drama created by mark v olson and william sheffer it aired from march 12th 2006 to march 20th 2011 it lasted five seasons and 53 episodes it stars bill paxton as Bill Henriksen, Jean Triplehorn as Barb Henriksen, his first wife, Chloe Sevigny as Nicolette Grant, his second wife, and Jennifer Goodwin as Marjean Heffman, his third wife. Um, the show is really great because it is about Bill, his three wives, but in a broader context, it's about his children, his extended family back on the polygamous compound where he was raised, and how their principles and the way that they practice their religion affect the immediate family, the extended family, and their lives outside of the family. So it's a really great show. Let's jump right into season one. Alex, take it away. 
Right. So this show, uh, it's it was really, really, really great to watch this show. Again, I'd seen it before, but just in the rewatch, um, this is an excellent series. I don't think I'll be able to say that enough. Like, it's really, truly impeccably written. Something about Big Love is that this, Big Love was definitely one of the show, one of several shows that sort of helped usher us into what I think people now refer as as the golden age of television, just because of how, like we said, how different the story is, how just impeccable, how like pitch perfect the writing is, how well-developed these characters are. And Big Love was a, as a cultural artifact, was, um, was a juggernaut because you have... Around the time you have um, that's happening, you do have the like the big sort of you have this Warren Jeffs, um, the real life like yeah Warren Jeffs and like that polygamous cult. It's in the news cycle pretty much every day, and the year Big Love premieres, the first episode premieres is the same year that they finally capture Warren Jeffs. And he's like, uh, he's captured and and uh, put into prison and, and like sort of awaiting trial. Um, and then bef- by the time before the series ends, like a year before the series ends, you'll have the premiere of the reality TV show Sister Wives, which will be a huge hit for TLC. Um, huge, huge hit on their reality programming and spawn off and a bunch of spinoffs, uh, spinoff reality shows from Sister Wives. And Sister Wives is still airing. It's in its 10th season. Um, and it's still a show people, people check in on. So this was just, um, Big Love had like just this huge cultural impact. Also, it's once we started like start really, really getting into the show, I think it's so fascinating how um, Roman, the actor who plays Roman, really does look like Warren Jeffs. <laughs> and then uh, Chloe Sinvigny has like a very striking resemblance to Warren Jeffs' real-life daughter, um, Rachel. So mm-hmm. that's fascinating. Um, but yeah, season one. Season one is great. I love season one. Season one, that pilot is actually really a perfect pilot. We're introduced to all of our people that will that will probably follow throughout the course of the series, with maybe just a few side characters coming in. We are set up to learn about this. We're set up in a really great way to learn about this family, uh, the Henriksen family, and and we see we see Bill um, sort of with his with his three wives really just trying to make it and trying to live this very public, live a social life, but also not have the secret revealed. Right. So the Henrik, Bill Henriksen and his wives are polygamous. Obviously polygamy is illegal in the United States. Um, there are countries in the world where polygamy is illegal or certain states within countries, but this is not one of them. Um, we meet him, we meet the three wives, Barb, Nikki, and Marjane. Um, we learn that even though they're polygamous, they don't live on a polygamous commune or a polygamous compound. They're living in a mainstream suburb and they're trying their best to make it mainstream. In the pilot, 
um, we learn about the wives, the order of the wives, and we learn that they live in three houses side by side, which share a backyard um, where the fences can go up or down. Um, and he tells anyone who asks that he is a landlord and he is just renting to Nikki and Marjean, his second and third wives, and that they are single mothers. That's a story that they keep up. Since Barb is his first wife, she is the only wife that he can really claim in public. And we see how this dynamic ripples throughout the series of having this public wife and this public life that is at odds with their private life. So Big Love is really great too because we are also interest we are also introduced to the auxiliary characters of Bill and Barb's eldest children, Sarah and Ben, and how the polygamous lifestyle is affecting them. Sarah is strongly opposed to it, while Ben wants to lean in and he he very much wants the life that his father has. We're also set up for conflicts that won't be resolved until later seasons, right in this first season. In this first season, for instance, we see that Ben, Bill's son, has feelings for his second wife, Marjean. And they take this at a snail's pace, but this situation unfolds in a manner that feels very organic and comes to a head at finally in season four, which we'll be talking about on our next episode. But the way that they, they deal with the wives, their personal um, feelings about polygamy, um, their feelings about the other wives and their feelings about Bill, I think is really well done. Uh, Barbara, is from a traditional LDS family. So she was not born or raised in polygamy, even though she was born and raised as a Mormon. The second wife, Nikki, was raised on a fundamental fundamentalist LDS um, polygamous compound called Juniper Creek, which was the same place Bill was raised. So she has very different feelings about the relationship. And the third wife, Marjean, was raised Catholic and only met Bill back when she was an employee of his first at one of his home plus stores which is like a fictionalized competitor of a home depot and then later on as a family babysitter so they come from three very very different worlds and they're trying to make this big blended family work for the sake of their husband so it's, it's a really well written show like alex says Right. It's so, um, it's just so masterful. Like it really is masterful, particularly in what you were saying in that you're right. There are so many plots that are introduced into this first season that don't get completely resolved until, yeah, like season, the show has like five seasons. Um, yeah, it doesn't get resolved to season four or like mid season five, which I mean, is really just, I mean, it's, uh, it's just, it's so phenomenal. Um, which I mean, at least, and then, and I mean, I guess to be fair, and I'm not taking away from the, from the writing because the writing is oh, so impeccable, but to be fair, like there is only, I think 12 episodes in each season, which helps, right? They don't mm -hmm. have to fulfill this sort of 22 episode order every season they're just um which is what most which is what like a network show would have to do um which is i can see can be significantly harder but 
but the show is wonderful. Um, particularly in that, even as you transition from season to season, I never feel like there's a huge shift or like there's a huge upset in the tone or like who these characters are. I just, I definitely just observe like, uh, a, it's like a, it's like a deepening. I just, mm-hmm. I, right. Does that make sense? No, I completely agree with that. Um, what I was going to say was that um, watching the show was actually really refreshing to me because of how short the seasons are. So the, the seasons we're going to be talking about on this episode are seasons one and two, which are 12 episodes each. It's amazing to me looking back at how much quality they packed into every single episode without ever making the audience feel overwhelmed with material. I look at shows that we have previously reviewed, like The Vampire Diaries, like The Originals, and they have 22 episodes, which, you know, arguably should be harder, but what are you really giving me? We have ideas or concepts that are introduced in one episode and completely forgotten about by the next. Um, We have one season being treated as if it's five seasons and just crammed with mostly unnecessary subplots (laughs) (laughs) and I'm just like what is even happening like I I almost think that this is a testament to writers like in creative writing classes they use they often use writing a short story as a writing exercise because having a limited word count actually forces you to um, streamline your ideals And I really think it shows on a show like Big Love. They had to have a very clear vision of what they were going to do because they didn't have a lot of time to do it in. Right. It's really great in that, like, I don't ever watch an episode of Big Love and feel like... There's never an episode that I watch that I feel like it's a filler episode. I feel like I'm always learning pertinent information in each episode. Um, I so agree. I so agree. Right. So... So, so season one, let's jump into some of these plots. Um, so let's kick it off with, let's talk about this sort of like affair within the marriage plot between Bill and Barb that kind of happens. Oh, yes. This was actually one of my favorite episodes. Um, so as we've mentioned, Barb is Bill's first wife, and she was his only wife for the first 12 years of their marriage. She went into a monogamous marriage that became a polygamous marriage after over 10 years. This is significant, right? You think you're in one relationship, and then you find yourself in a in a very different one. So um, the wives um, assign nights Every wife is assigned a night with the husband, Bill. And after going off to a party over the weekend together, Bill and Barb embark on a full-blown affair. Can't keep their hands off each other. He's getting hotel rooms. They're seeing each other every night. It's made clear that Margie never knows about the affair, but Nikki becomes suspicious and she realizes they're sleeping together. During the course of this affair, we, we I think this is one of the 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 stronger highlights of Barb's conflicting feelings about their life. I always get the feeling with Barb that she's someone who's never really sure that she's made the right decision in mm-hmm. engaging in polygamy. And we really see this conflict and this inner turmoil during this affair. Mm-hmm. Um because not only does she want it very badly, unlike Bill, she seems to be the only one who feels guilty for basically cheating on their other wives. Right. And it's so, first of all, 
yeah, she's, she seems guilty and she's always questioning. And, and something that when the, when that, uh, affair plot starts, something that even struck me about it is that it, it sort of feels like she, or they're, they're like rediscovering each other. Like they're looking at each other for the first time, like really yes. looking at each other for the first time in a long time. Right. Which we know happens in like regular marriages, right? Like you mm-hmm. marry someone, you're with them, you're very comfortable and you lose sight of each other. And it's, and that's what, that's part of what makes the story like a bit tragic in a way. Cause it's like, it, it's like they would have eventually, because the reason why we find out over the course of season one, the reason why this sort of, plural marriage thing ends up happening is because Barb uh, gets cancer and she gets very, very sick and Nikki and Bill gets Nikki to come or, uh, and take care of her. And then Nikki joins the family and then soon after Marge. Um, and so it, when this affair plot happens, it feels like maybe they didn't need, like maybe they didn't need all of that to begin with. Like it could have just been them and it could have just been, it would have worked out or like it would have been fine, but it's, there is like a sort of, there's a tragedy to it. And it's, and it's just a really fascinating plot in the, in the first season. Yeah, I agree with that. One of my points of contention with Bill Hendrickson and the way that polygamy is presented on this show and probably the way that it works, you know, in real life, to be honest, is that it very much seems as if, you know, once I get a wife and we get settled and we have some babies, you know, the moment there's a lull, you know, marriages go through peaks and valleys. There are going to be times when you're just in a very comfortable companionship and there's going to be times when you're hot and heavy for each other. You cannot sustain a burning passion every single day of your married lives. And it definitely seemed as if, you know, collecting wives was just a matter of um, who's stoking my fire right now. Or who do I need in my life? Um, to, who's up, who's of service to my life right now? The reason why the issue of how the polygamy started really bothers me is, as Alex said, when Barb was diagnosed with breast cancer, um, and it was um, let's season one premieres six years after Barb's cancer, um, and. The, and the way it happened is he brings Nikki, who again was raised on that same Juniper Creek compound that he was, to nurse her. I mean, of all the people you could have brought to nurse her, I think this whole thing just feels super manipulative on Bill's part. Like, basically, um, he took advantage of his wife's illness to groom her into ex- being accepting of polygamy. Right. And to the show's... And listen, to the show's credit... Um, it'll be something that they both finally verbalize in season two. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which we'll get to, but, um, so we'll get back to this, but, um, yeah. And then also, and, but also Bill himself cannot sustain this marriage, like this plural marriage. It is very much. And that's also something that bugs. Like, I do think the show does an extremely good job and like I said, it's a testament to the writing. It's a credit to the right these writers and like s- such a clear vision for this show. Bill um, does the the show does a good job of presenting uh, this plural marriage in this family, particular just the the immediate family and even the compound family. 
which will, who, who we'll get to as like, this is just sort of what it is. It's not as a viewer. I don't necessarily, I don't really think anybody is good or bad. I'm just sort of, or a situate or it's good versus bad. I just sort of feel like it is what it is. And that's definitely, I think how Sarah feels. I definitely think how, it's how Barb has come to feel. I do think Barb legitimately loves her sister wives and she loves Bill, but I think there's also a part of Barb that like, if she had to do it all over again, she probably would have been like, no, I don't want to do this. Uh, And that's like really, really great on the show's part. But like also Bill himself cannot, he can't sustain this marriage. Like he's taking Viagra to like have sex with all of them. He, is not really emotionally or mentally there with his children. And he can't like, and like, how could you be? These women are really sort of what keep propping him up. And then there's also, you know, Bill's own sort of personal ambitions for and drive for what he wants out of his life. That, right. Um, and that he doesn't particularly care what Barb, Margie, or... Nikki want because you're here to like have sex with me and then, you know, raise these kids and then support me to for whatever I want to do. Um, I will say to Bill's credit, he, I do feel like he cares about, um, the wives, you know, the Bill character is someone who like is, is irritating to me at times. And other times I can understand that the way he feels about polygamy is in large part, both Bill and Nikki um, indoctrination and indoctrination is a very strong hold on people. You know, most people indoctrinate their children into the religion or the denomination that they feel is right. And most people have a very hard time completely shutting themselves of that ideology and that doctrine. So um, more on Juniper Creek really quickly before I expound on Bill. Juniper Creek is a fundamentalist LDS compound run by the prophet Roman Grant at the time that Bill was kicked out to this very day. Nikki happens to be Roman's daughter. Um, It's revealed, I think, in season three that she's like his eighth daughter from his third wife or whatever, but she's one of his favorites. And And they're in this marriage. As the show progresses, it's very clear that Many times, Bill feels like he's in over his head, especially financially with the wives and the children. And it's revealed that Nicolette um, has issues with the principal insofar as being expected to, um, you know, bear a certain amount of children for her husband. But they're both in it anyway, because what the hell else are you going to do when you don't really know anything else as being right Because I think Nikki is exposed, and Nikki is an incredibly complex character, but I do, but particularly for Nikki and Bill, I, they believe, they really believe like this, like this religion that they're practicing, they truly believe in it. And I think you have to just take that as like at face. Um, no, for, yeah. I, I I agree with that. L- listen, when I use the term indoctrination, I mean it at its face value. I mean, and being indoctrinated in a religion doesn't mean that you don't believe. It just means that's what you were exposed to in your formative years. And that matters. You know, most people are not going to be like Barb. They're not going to 
follow a, a different iteration of their religion. Most people are not going to be like Marjean. They're not going to change religions for a relationship. Um, most people are going to be like Bill and and Nikki. They're going to be exposed to something as a child. They're going to be convinced that it is right, and they're going to ride it till the wheels fall off, even in moments of doubt. Right. And, and they do. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so one of the the bigger subplots too in season one that also like trickles into other seasons. I love how this show never really ties anything up in one season is Nikki's shopping addiction. <laughs> mm. Ooh, this girl got some hoarder tendencies, you guys. Um, she but does. She, but she, 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 the only reason she doesn't become a full blown hoarder is because she buys so much shit that she realizes she's running out of room and she gives it away. She starts, like, shopping for other people and shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's, like, yeah. I mean, Nikki hates being off the compound, but she loves, like, that that Sears catalog. She can't get enough of it. Um, she loves that HSN, that QVC. That QVC. <laughs> she needs it. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, Nikki. Uh, she and she's it. so right. Alex is so right that Nikki's a complex character. Don't get it twisted. This show is is like you're up, you're neck deep in complex characters. Um, Nikki is a person that I'm sure a lot of viewers took turns loving, hating, and feeling sympathy for. Um, just for that reason, she's my favorite character because I think she is masterfully written and masterfully acted. Um, Nikki's shopping addiction too, I thought was was great because of all the wives to give us shopping addiction to. I thought it was interesting that the one who was born and raised on a polygamous compound with just like bare necessities would be the one that has a shopping addiction, right? That someone who never really was in control of her life and never really had means would now have the means, have the freedom and be like a kid in a candy store, completely out of control. Right. Exactly. Um, in season one, we are interested. Some other characters that were introduced to, uh, are Joey, Wanda, Bill's mom and Bill's mom who who live on the compound. Now Joey is Bill's brother, and Joey used to be a professional NFL player. Mm-hmm. And then he, I think he had like he got like an injury, right, or something. Uh, he either had an injury or like it's not made clear because like, because Frank makes fun of him for like fumbling a ball. I think it's either that or like um, it's possible that he has like terrible anxiety and affected his performance and he got his contract cut. But either way, he was released from the NFL for something. For, for something. <laughs> yeah. And then and, and after that, he couldn't, you know, do life. So he went back to, to the compound. He went home. And he has a wife who she's like mentally, um, she just has mental illness. Like she has like a, a sort of probably if we're going to armchair it, like borderline sort of personality, like a borderline personality disorder. And the big thing that is like sort of the contention around them is that like he doesn't really want to, Joey doesn't want to like have a bunch of wives. And like that's not something he's interested in at all. He he's happy with just Wanda and he really does love Wanda. Like deeply deeply loves her. But unfortunately, he won't give Wanda or like and Joey's another one that like I empathize with but like I get irritated with because like he won't uh he also won't like 
get Wanda the help that she clearly needs um, because she does need extra care. Um, And so the big thing that sort of happens with them is uh, Wanda tries to poison Nikki's brother, Albie, who is sort of like a number two beneath Mm -hmm. Roman on, on the compound. And that throws... And that plot will, like, throw them into um, Bill and the rest of the immediate family's orbit. Mm-hmm. And prior to this, Wanda had um, um, been poisoning her father-in-law, Bill's father, Frank. Like, first they thought that Bill's mother, Lois, did. And Lois, to her credit, was actually, like, taking the blame for this shit um, to protect her daughter-in-law, which is interesting. Lois is uh, yet another super complex character. But yeah, like Alex said, Joey's really not really here for polygamy. Like he tried mainstreaming first when he and Bill were kids and they were kicked off the compound by Roman. And then again, when he was playing pro ball, but he has bad nerves and he he's someone who is, who's a recovering alcoholic when we meet him. And he just really, like, he really thrives in the simplicity of the commune. Even with Wanda, like, a a part of me, my heart goes out to him because some people would say, like, if you cared about this person, you would get them help, right? And I'm definitely in that camp. But I also had to consider the way they were raised, um, where your family takes care of you. And if you really care about someone, you are going to take care of them directly. Like, you're not going to pawn them off on someone else. And Joey was really convinced for a while there that if he was just there enough and he loved her enough, Wanda would get better. Right. And, but that's not how this works. (laughs) Right. That's not how mental illness works, but... He don't, he don't, he don't get it. You guys. Um, sometimes I look at Joey too, especially in season two and a part of me realizes that Joey and Bill's first wife, Barb are actually the most compatible people on this show. And I think they felt it too. Like there was a moment when they realized, like Joey realized I could be happy with someone sane. And she realized I could be happy with someone who didn't have to be talked into monogamy. (laughs) I want to say like, so segue right into my next point um what do you so let's talk about this sort of like I think almost quasi emotional affair that happens between like Joey and Barb Girl, it's it was gonna happen it was happening what was <laughs> happening I was like oh shit um because it's not it's it's deeper than friendship it's friendship but it's way more like I don't think you can just write it off as like a close friendship. It's absolutely like a full blown, like emotional affair. And it's crazy because it's happening right under Bill's nose. And it's like, he doesn't, and he does not process it at all. I hesitate to use the term emotional affair um, simply because I think they're both aware of what was happening and they both like made like, like uh, there was like a nonverbal understanding to like not let it go any further, but they have this deep communication and kinship and understanding of each other that is so clear and that in their interactions, it doesn't even feel like they're seeking anything from each other, but like when they speak to each other, it's like a thirsty man finding an oasis in the desert, right? Like, oh, finally someone gets me to the point where Wanda, who despite her mental illness or maybe because of it, is highly perceptive. And she starts like questioning Bob, like, why is Joey always coming over here? Right. It's a really interesting relationship to see because everything that's going on between them is 
clearly understood between them, but never explicitly stated. They know they could make each other happier. They know that there's something deeper going on here. They know that their partners are a hot ass mess. They know they really don't want the marriages that they're in, or they would want their partners. Not that they don't, that, that Barb doesn't love Bill, but she doesn't love polygamy. Not that Joey doesn't love Wanda, but he doesn't love the burden of her mental illness. Um, that they could be really happy together, but it's like too little too late. <laughs> Right. It's like, it's, it's a misconnection. Um, and you will always have, you'll always sort of see Barb really go up for Joey always, even when Bill, like all, always, always, she will advocate for him, advocate for him and, and for Wanda. Right. And Bill just thinks she's being a good sister-in-law to his brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it should be stated too, like another connection that's happening in that relationship is that, Wanda and Nikki are best friends. So even before Joey and Wanda were married, even before Nikki and Bill were married, Nikki and Wanda are best friends. And um, they're shown talking to each other quite often. We really don't get to see like a softer side, a guards down side of Nikki until those initial phone calls in season one where she's calling Wanda or Wanda's calling her from the compound. We see the side of Nikki that is a good friend and cares about her friend. And, you know, it makes us wonder why isn't she this unreserved and unguarded around her sister wives? Right. Cause you know, Nikki's just, and yeah. And that's part of what makes Nikki so complex. Um, Cause Nikki loves, I do think that Nikki genuinely loves is also somebody who, like you said, this is just, this is what she knows. This is it. Like she's going to ride till the wheels fall off. But I do think she legitimately really does love Barb and Margie and she's in Bill. Uh, but she's also, but she also understands, but she's also somebody who is acting out of, you know, the sort of toxicity of, of, of the com- compound and sort of responding to what she has learned and, and seen growing up. So in, in terms of she knows there's a hierarchy and she knows and she understands that you have to be aggressive and fight for what you want and like what you need. And, and, and then also I think it's just a personality of trait of, of Nikki's that like anything that makes her feel insecure, she like seeks to destroy it. Mm-hmm. like she seeks to attack it and to dominate it and to conquer it. That's, I think that's also something that's just in, in her nature. Yeah. And it's just, it's fascinating. It's really, and it's great to see all those dynamics at play. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think Barb sees that about Nikki, right? She sees that this hostility is really just covering up for an insecure insecurity. Um, but like, Marge is really like fooled by the false bravado and she's really intimidated by Nikki circa season one. Um, You know, Nikki grew up in this compound. Her father was a prophet. Her mother was her father's third wife, but his favorite and most trusted wife. So his, her mother does all his secretarial and bookkeeping. And as a result, her mother's children herself, Albie and her sister Evie were the favored children. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So we go from that environment to her, she, now she, the the show codes it as she's maybe six, seven, eight years 
maybe even more than that, younger than Bill, but she remembers Bill vividly from her childhood. Like she maybe always idolized him or held a torch for him since she was very, very young. He was kicked off the compound. He married this mainstream um, LDS woman and she waits, you know, all these years to be his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she has to live in this mainstream community where all of the power and all the, the you know, the politics um, of the compound no longer matter, right? She's mm-hmm. not someone of importance anymore. That can be very jarring. Right. And then also, um, and then, I mean, as we'll find out later, uh, she's she's married off to someone else first, right? Right. And, when she and, was 15, she's married 15. to Wanda's brother, JJ. Right. And then she's she's given an annulment at the, at the begging of um, Roman, when she begs Roman, but okay. So we talked really briefly about Ben and Marge um, and you're, and you're right. There are episodes in season one where we will see like the sort of the beginnings of this, like uh, that only like comes to its natural conclusion. Like I think in season five, but I want to ask you something. So in like episode three ish, I want to say home invasion, There is a scene where Bill walks in. Oh, because, like, the whole, the compound family has, like, come to, like, the mainstream, like, just, have they've left the compound and they've come to Nikki's house for, like, somebody's, some, one of those kids. Yeah, it's her son, it's her son Wayne's birthday party. Right, his birthday party. And so... The scene is like Bill opens the door and then you see Roman sitting in the chair next to the bed and Nikki is on the bed and she's sort of like giggling, like very in a very like cultish, childish manner. That's very not her is giggling and like rubbing her head into Roman's hand. What do you remember? And and then Bill, I know, I know the scene that you're talking about, but they were actually both on the bed. So oh, he's like lying. he's like sitting up against the headboard and she's okay. lying stomach down. Stomach and when down, you yeah. open the door, it gives the illusion that her head is like somewhere near his where his hand is placed, but also somewhere near his crotch area. Mm-hmm. And her giggling is actually not what disturbed me in that scene. What really disturbs me in that scene is that when Bill opens the door, Roman looks up at him and Roman's face is drenched in guilt. Like he just got caught doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. I mean, they both look like they get caught, right? So does Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. When she turns around, we see her face and we see she looks guilty and she's like straightening she's, out her clothes. Right. But like the first face we see is Roman since like her back, her head is faced away from us. And like Roman's initial reaction, as soon as that door opens, like that was red flags and red alarms. The show alludes so many times to Nikki having been sexually abused or groomed by her father. Right. Oh, I, 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 and that's why I brought it up. I was like, did you get that? Like, that was essentially like an allusion to the fact that like, um, Nikki had always been like groomed by like by her dad. Right. And then yeah. like Bill's handling of the situation, like initially when he opens the door, I understand why he didn't say anything because Roman was still in their house. But then he proceeds never, ever, ever to bring it up to Nikki ever again. Right. And then well, and then and then something that then further bugs is that like he then acts super dumb when he finds out ev- like later in later seasons. 
when he finds out everything that's been going on in the compound in terms of like the child brides and stuff, he acts like so stupid. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize. I'm like, wait, what? Right. Because when Roman comes to this birthday party, he comes with two of his wives. He comes with Adelaine, Nikki's mother, his favorite, and Wayne, Wayne's grandma. And he goes with his, excuse me, um, this, this, um, um, this girl, this 14 year old who's in pre-marriage placement to him called Rhonda. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like apparently he's supposed to marry Rhonda when she turns 16. What the fuck do you mean? You didn't know that was child brides. Right. Like what, <laughs> what are you talking about, dude? Like you're, are you high? Like I can't even. So then, and then yes. And then that's also somebody who we meet first season who will have a huge, who will be, who's an auxiliary character, but has a a great arc and is also another once like like we said there's no everybody on this series is is very complex um Rhonda uh Rhonda is somebody who is extremely complex who will be somebody that we meet time and time and time again and poor Rhonda like I she's a very she's also somebody who's very tragic even though I mean, because I feel like you understand why she does what she does, right. you know? Uh, she, all she's doing is what she knows how to do. Rhonda's behavior is like um, almost like a sociopathic version of Nikki, right? Yes. She she carries on with the manipulations and the false bravado, but deeper than that, she is like, she's a liar. She's a user, and she's also someone when she goes to mainstream culture, feels her power slipping away from her. One of the reasons that she's she's cool with and even happy to marry Roman is because he has so much power. And as his favorite, this gives her power by extension. Right. Rhonda's plot, I think, in the in the first season is she comes to to visit and then she stays and she or she stays to audition for this this monologue contest because she wants to be an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't, and, and it's hard because you can see that she thinks this is like her way out of right. the, the the compound, that she's going to uh, learn all this stuff. She's going to win this contest and she's going to be able to, to just kiss that life goodbye. So there is a part of her that knows that like, she doesn't want that. Right. Um, but then she, and she does audition and she, she gets cut the first day in the competition and, and she, she can't handle it. So she just, so then she just keeps lying and saying that she's, she's been, she's going farther. Um, when she, when she didn't and it sucks. Does this all happen in season one? Like her in the competition happens in season one. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, there was so much going on in this season. Um, and it doesn't like, it never feels like too much. It's, it's, they did a really great job with this writing. Um, the pacing is excellent on this show. Yeah. No, the pacing is perfect. Um, I want to talk very briefly, well, briefly for now, but he's a supporting character that has a, a, a bit of importance on the show. And that's Bill's best friend and fellow polygamist, Don. Don and his first wife, Peggy, work um, in managerial positions at one of Bill's home home plus stores. He owns two. 
and they're polygamous as well. One of the things that the show does so great I thought was, again, leaving breadcrumbs throughout seasons of shit that's not going to be tied up until later. The, I believe it was second episode, or maybe even the first episode, Don and Peggy and his um, Don's two other wives come over for a game of cards and some dinner, and we see two of the wives playing footsie with each other underneath the table, Season three, they done left Don, you guys. They done left. (laughs) They left and they're like, we don't want you. We don't want Peg. We only love each other and our kids. You can bounce. And I remember thinking when I first saw that in season one, I'm like, what is even the point of showing us that they're playing footsie? Like, they're never brought up again. But then they do leave Don. It is brought up. He's coming apart at the seams. He's, you know, mourning these dissolved marriages and losing his children. And then it does play a big hand, right? When Bill's trying to get these casinos off the table. So these small things like that, that the writers do that you think is insignificant, pay attention. Like this is not a show that you can afford to not pay attention to. (laughs) Everything is done purposefully. Everything's very purposeful. Um, So then I guess sort of talking, so let's talk about this sort of thing that will um, take us into season two and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up uh season one but so teeny which is barb and barb and bill's youngest um daughter between them um enters her mom into this enters barb into this like mother of the year like thing and she barb gets it she gets they get a notification that they're going to be finalists there has sort of been, so in season one, there's also been this ongoing plot. Bill, Teeny, Ben, Sarah, everybody goes, they're there. And as they're, like, you know, about to announce the winner, somebody comes up um, in front. And this is, like, a very, like, prominent community, you know, thing. And as they're, like, we're getting ready to announce the winner, somebody comes up and whispers something to the person. And then they... They then, you know, walk down and tell Barb that they have to leave because that Barb and their whole family has to leave because they've been disqualified because they have because somebody has told them that somebody has told this like competition people that they're polygamists. And that and that is like, uh, no, because mom of this mom of the year person is supposed to be like a statewide or like citywide moral role role model. Um, And she goes, and this absolutely crushes Barb. Um, I mean, crushes her to pieces. And and that is how um, season one ends. Bill's grandfather used to be the prophet of the compound. And the show basically tells you that Roman, who was his accountant, killed him to take his position. So Bill goes to Ernest, who is an old man in the community who's sickly, and basically asks him for his seat. And and because he Ernest knows, knows that Roman is corrupt. So basically, in exchange for getting him and his wives out of town, he gives Bill his seat. And then Bill gives a seat to Joey. They, Barb had really built herself up. She was feeling herself. She was so happy that her 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 daughter Teeny had 
nominated her for this. And then at the last minute, she's disqualified. Um, luckily for her, the people running the competition don't tell the audience why she was disqualified. Um, so she can save a little bit of face, but this sends Barb into a complete breakdown. <laughs> It's it's really sad to see you guys, and just uh, just one of the many situations where we know that Barb is rethinking the decisions she's made. Right. It it just it's like um it's definitely like a slap in the face for her. Like in terms of, you can see that she was sort of, and it sort of underscores this thing that you feel throughout the season that she it was sort of like living a double in a like living in a double consciousness and this sort of like breaks that um in order yeah she was like sort of compartmentalizing her life her life so there's her life in private and her life in public and she was compartmentalizing and separating the two and that's clearly how she was like living with herself and living with this decision um and it this just like the the whole situation just totally like broke that the thing about Barb is that she's someone who, again, one of the many complex characters is we see as actually having much more power than she thinks she does. Because <laughs> your first wife, you're the only one with legal rights, number one. Number two, um, LDS runs Utah. She could divorce Bill and make sure he never sees his children again because uh, by just by outing him as a polygamist. And the LDS church would fully embrace her back in their, their arms for um, having had to suffer as a polygamist wife. But Barb is in the situation she's in because she loves Bill. Um, she's not a Nikki who like believes that this is the right way to be. Um, although I believe Nikki loves Bill as well. She also believes in the principle, right? It, but Barb and, and Marge are people that we really see as being here because they really, really love Bill. Maybe Marge has some other issues as well in so far as seeing the stability of this family and having wanted that as someone who didn't have a lot of stability growing up. You know, her dad walked out on her. Her mom was an alcoholic. But like Barb is someone who really doesn't need Bill as much as she thinks she does. She doesn't need this marriage as much as she thinks she does. So, so many times when Barb is having these like crises of consciousness, it's difficult to like entirely sympathize with her. Cause I'm like, sis, why are you here? <laughs> right. She doesn't, she doesn't really need this. Um, and she's, she's also, and then she is legitimately also all of the things that that mom award represented, right? Like she volunteers with the hospice. She, you know, takes care of her kids. Like she's very active, like in their lives. She's very beautiful. She could find somebody else. She doesn't really, she did, this isn't something that, you know, she's built an identity for herself. That's, um, it's very significant. She doesn't, yeah, she doesn't really need this. Right. And Barb is a very like you from the moment you meet her, you know that this is a person who's supposed to be coded as intelligent before she even opens her mouth. <laughs> there is a way to dress your characters and do their hair and makeup to like read as smart, quote unquote. Barb is a substitute teacher. Bob is um, university educated. And really, Barb gives more legitimacy to Bill than any other of his wives ever could. Right. Um, so in a lot of ways, we, what you see Barb going through is really just like sacrifices made in the name of love. And I'm like, hm, I want to see a show where a man sacrifices this much to be with a woman. I would like to see it. 
Right, right. <laughs> she, he, she does. She sacrifices so much to the point where, like, she gets, like, employment opportunities and, like, they expect her to turn them down because mm-hmm. so that, like, it doesn't disrupt, like, their nights or whatever. I'm just like, oh, yikes. Two cool things happen when um, before season one ends. The first is that we get to see Nikki without that braid. The compound women often wear their hair in like a single braid or a French braid or some sort of pinned up style. The only one who doesn't really wear their hair like this is Lois, who keeps her hair short. And we also um, find that Marjean is pregnant in episode 11. Um, so Nikki had been trying to get pregnant or so she said, I think she just, you know, she, it's, it's revealed that she's, she's been on birth control this whole time and only said that to like, you know, appease Bill over something she'd done, like her astronomical debt that he finds out about this season. Mm -hmm. Um, but Marjean is the one who ends up pregnant with, with her and Bill's third child together. So balls are rolling in this season. We met another really complicated character this season, Adelaine, um, Nikki's mom. We can talk about that more in season two. But um, season one ends with Barb in devastation. Albie is in the hospital, um, having been poisoned by with by antifreeze um, by by Wanda, um, Joey's wife, and the whole Henriksen family. Well, not the whole family, but Bill and he and Barb's kids are completely devastated at Barb's public humiliation. And in that season one, um, so season one, good, bad, or basic? Season one was excellent. Same. Season one is excellent. If I have to pick some episodes, although I think you should watch the series in its entirety. Um, but if I had to pick some episodes, uh, I really like season one, episode two, Viagra Blue. Season one, episode three, Home Invasion. Season one, episode five, Affair. Season one, episode six, Roberta's Funeral. Uh, season one, episode nine, A Barbecue for Betty. Season one, episode 10, The Baptism. And then season one, episode 12, The Ceremony. Yeah. And I want to say that every single actor on this show is strong. I I would say the weakest actors on this show. And don't come for me. I'm literally like pulling this from a very stacked cast. Would be um, Douglas Smith, who plays Ben Henriksen. And Amanda Seyfried, who plays Sarah Hendrickson, Bill's two oldest children. Of the characters that we see the most of, they would probably be the weakest because everyone, like, really goes in hard. Even characters, auxiliary characters like Wanda um, or like Lois are so, so strong in every single scene that we see them in, right? Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And even Amanda, listen, like... We're saying Amanda Seyfried, but Amanda Seyfried, uh, who plays Sarah, is really great in this. She's excellent in this. I understand why she became, like, a huge deal after this show. Um, She's very, very good. She does a great job. Yeah, Ben's probably, if we have to pick, is, like, the weakest. Let's, uh, Let's jump into season two. I love that they don't do a jump of several weeks or several months. I think maybe it's been a couple of weeks, but Barb is still very much dealing with the aftermath of the mother of the year um, ceremony. And when she drops Teeny off at summer school, um, she, it becomes clear that the people there know and they what happened, like the reason why she was disqualified and they no longer want her teaching there. Right. It picks up two weeks after 
Um, okay. After the incident, um, because in the fir- I think in episode one, damage control, Bill says she's been she hasn't been out of the house in two weeks. You got like he he's talking to Marge and Nikki, and he goes, she hasn't been out of the house. She hasn't left the house for two weeks. You guys can't continue to coddle her. She needs to get up and take Teeny to school. Which I thought was, and again, I'm gonna, I'm always gonna keep going back to the indoctrination. Because he was raised in this way, he really doesn't understand what a crushing blow this was to Barb, right? Right. Like he's very much in the what's the big deal frame of mind. And I'm like, ugh, you're, you're, you're infuriating. Like, for, like, imagine not having been raised that way. Imagine living in a world that is not that way, right? And being exposed this way. And I believe that Barb loves her sister wives, right? But she doesn't love the inconvenience of always trying, having to hide them. Right, right. That is like, that's a huge burden and it's a burden on, on all of them, but it's, it's particularly a burden on her. And, and yeah, so you have, so like you said, they have, and people know, and Bill, I guess to his credit is, well, not even to his credit, he's. He's upset that people know because it could affect his home plus business. That's why he's upset. He's not upset because, my God, like, my wife was, like, humiliated. Like, a a wife that, you know, didn't even want this shit really in the first place, um, who I took advantage of, was completely devastated. It's like, okay, but what's going to happen to home plus? And (laughs) what's going to, like, yeah. He's he's, like, I have two stores. I need to open a third store. What what am I going to do? 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 That's sort of his his, um, mind frame. And, And to Marge and Nikki's credit, they both sort of, they do call him out on that. They're, particularly Marge. Marge is like, she was humiliated. Like, she was completely humiliated. You get that, right? Um, and and Marge and Nikki are the only ones that take it seriously when Barb leaves. And this is where the relationship between the sister wives really shines. Because it's not the first or the last time when one of them is is really hurting and the other two will rally around for support. Where Bill is no fucking where to be found. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> like, who knows where he is? <laughs> Like, it's crazy. So they have to be each other's constant supports, companions, and co-parents, right? Because they, they, for the most part, they're mothering their own children, but they're extended parents to the other's children. Right. And Bill is just the guy that eats meals with them and that they take turns fucking. Right. <laughs> like, ugh. So I'm like, why do y'all even need the man? Listen, um, but yeah, he has two home plus stores. He wants to open up a third. And that actually brings us back to what was revealed in season one was that when he opened the first store, he actually got some of his startup money from Roman in exchange for 15% of the business. So Roman owns 15% of his business. And Roman's under this delusion that um, he can own 15% of all future businesses. Right, right. (laughs) And I'm just like, nah, fam. But it's, I feel too that it's either implied or stated that this business loan had something to do with, with, um, Nikki being allowed to marry Bill. Because as I said, when we were reviewing season one, Bill's grandfather used to be prophet. So Lois basically used to be who Nikki was, the daughter of the prophet, had all this power and then Roman disposed of Bill's grandfather 
took his money, took his wives, his children were left with nothing and, um, you know, kicked out his, um, grandsons when they got of age and had also kicked out Bill's, um, uncle Lois's brother. Right. Um, he had kicked them all off the compound. Um, I guess cause he didn't want competition for like more wives, but Roman has 14 wives. Like we learned this in season one and Rhonda was going to be like wife number 15 or something. Right. Like it's, it's crazy. Like the, the power dynamics that were setting up that were being set up there. But one thing we do learn is that had Bill stayed on the compound, Nikki would have probably still ended up being one of his wives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because um, even if his grandfather had stayed prophet, Roman is still the prophet's accountant. That's what his role was at the time. And Nikki is still Roman's daughter. That would have probably been like a very likely match to have occurred she would have either ended up being bill or joey's one of their wives right 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 yeah barb leaves what's interesting about it is once bill finally realizes this shit's like really serious um with her being gone is barb and bill have a conversation and they finally sort of verbalize what we've been saying and that barb is like you know you took advantage of me when I was in a low place and I didn't want this life and you, you just sort of pushed it on me. And I guess to Bill's credit, like he does, he's like, yeah, I did. I did do that. And he does say that he's sorry, but then he's also like, but it's what you have now. So are you going to go? You're going to stay. <laughs> um, yeah. To his credit, Bill actually does apologize to his wives on many occasions for like being in the wrong about things. It's super interesting to me that Barb, too, runs away to Don and Peg's house, right? Right. <laughs> um, because I'm like, it, but then I realize, like, who can she run to? Her family is more or less, like, her mother and her sister have more or less disowned her on right. account of, of of living in polygamy. So, like, who does she really have anymore? And then we just think about what how much she's really sacrificing here, a relationship with her own family to make this marriage work. Right. And I guess also the fact that she does run away to to who she runs to is is a signifier that it's not that it's really just like a crisis of of consciousness and, and thinking about what she's going to do versus a hard I'm leaving you. Because if it was like a hard I'm leaving you, she would go to her sister or her mom because her right. sister and her mom do make it clear um, that if you were to divorce Bill, like you could come back to this family. If you say goodbye, if you wash your hands of that, we're going to be, we're going to be here for you. Cause, and cause that's something that the sister more or less relays to her. Yeah. They make it very clear that like, you know, Barb, you, you're, all, you're just one divorce away from your having your family back. <laughs> and it's interesting to me. And this is something that I see throughout the show, but like, and with other characters, but especially with Barb, she can be having all these doubts and all these reservations and moments of insecurity about the relationship, which, which I think all the wives go through at one point or another. But as soon as an, uh, an outsider challenges a relationship that makes her dig her heels in. And I'm like, like stubbornness is 50% of the reason why y'all here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, as soon as someone challenges, like, this is not okay, this is not natural, this is not right, like, she digs her heels in further. I love Bill. I love my sister wise. They were there for me. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, sis, where was this energy when you were sick of their shit? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, So, in season two, I want to talk a bit about Ben and Sarah. So, Ben gets this girlfriend. Mm Mm-hmm. And he, like, after a lot of prodding and, and crisis and on his part of, like, oh, uh, whatever, he, he, like, has sex with her. And that, like, flips his world upside down. <laughs> like. Yeah. So it, we knew Ben had a girlfriend, Bryn, in season one, but we don't meet her till season two. He she <laughs> he basically is coerced into having sex with her to try to keep the relationship. And he feels mad guilty, but he likes it because he sex, really likes it. Yeah, he keeps sex. doing it. He keeps doing, he keeps it. doing it, you guys. Um and it kind of ties into another part with Jace with with Ben and his friend Jason, who's part of like a Mormon boys club called Straight Edge. Straight Edge is about no liquor, no meat, no women. It it's a like a Mormon brotherhood with deep homoerotic undertones. And they it's get hardcore because <laughs> they get tattoos. They get tattoos, which I I believe is very strongly against the religion. But okay. Like most religions, um, most denominations of Christianity, and um, don't aren't cool with you branding yourself that way. Um, <laughs> but okay, and um, luckily he doesn't join Straight Edge because he's he's not that simple. But Bryn does the right thing um, when Sarah catches him having sex, and then later the family finds out he's having sex. He takes one of his mother's rings and tries to propose to this girl and use an engagement to make the fact that they're fucking okay. And she tells him like, listen, this is not okay. Like we're like 16 years old, 17 years old. Um, you're not ready for this. I hope you meet a nice Mormon girl who's into polygamy, but I gotta go. (laughs) Right. And then not only that, but like then Barb, like, um, Barb and her have like a conversation and Barb, shout out to Barb. Barb knows exactly what to say to her to make her, like, run for the hill. <laughs> right, because Barb knows that Ben wants to be a polygamist, right? So she's like, listen, this is what this was my struggle as first wife. I still struggle. I don't know what you're going to do, but this is the life Ben wants. And as a good wife, you're just going to have to support him. And I think that's Barb's problem, too, is that, like, she wants so badly to be a good wife that she just keeps getting fucked over. <laughs> but Right. And then, and then yeah, Ben goes running, like running for the hills their reaction though to ben fucking is an interesting one because it's not one that i see a lot on television when parents catch their sons having sex right it's usually a reaction reserved for daughters um (laughs) they're like oh my god no i'm crushed i can't believe this my world is spinning we didn't raise you like this (laughs) right like bill is devastated Bill is, like, completely devastated. He's like, I thought we raised you better than this. I thought, like, I had talked to you about, like, what this really means. And, like, I thought I thought you knew. No. No. Barb's crying in the bathroom, you guys. It's a lot. <laughs> it's um, a lot. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's a Mormon saying in LDS communities and polygamists um, that, you know, it's better to see your children in a casket than to see them separated from their chastity. Well, girl. Yeah, it's a lot, but like, 
I'm going to go on record and say that I am totally cool <laughs> with my kid not dying. Um, this, I feel like this, this viewpoint is super extreme. And I also feel like it's one of the things that um, it's why a lot of religious fundamentalists marry so young because they confuse lust with love and um, try to scrub out the shame of lustful feelings or premarital sex with marriage. Right. Which will also, and this sort and this idea and this, the, the idea that you're talking about will also come up when we get to um, Anna, who we meet in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as Sarah and Scott's relationship. I was about to say, so then next on to Sarah and Scott. But, like, here's the thing about Sarah and Scott. So Sarah goes to this ex-Mormon, the the, the eldest daughter of Barb and, and Bill, Sarah. She goes to this ex-Mormon meeting, and she and there she meets Scott Whitman, who is played by, um, um, I was going to say Jesse Pinkman. I'm like, that's not his real name. <laughs> <laughs> it might as well be. It might as well be, though. Um, Yes, she meets Scott Whitman, played by Aaron Paul, who is completely and totally age inappropriate for Sarah, but then, but yet will probably be the most stabilizing and like a level headed force in her force in Sarah's life besides her, her really good friend, Heather, played by Tina Majorino. Yeah, so Heather and Scott were very interesting people. I'm going to go on record and say I really couldn't stand Heather because personally, I would never be friends with a Heather. But Heather is a fantastic friend to she's and for such Sarah. A good she's, she's such a good friend. She's a conservative. She's a Republican. She's, um, she's all the things that I wouldn't want in a friend, but she's all the things that Sarah needs in a friend and is a really... She's like home base for Sarah in a lot of ways because our family is in constant rigmarole and drama and change as a result of the wives and the children and dealing with Roman all the time. And Heather's very constant. Heather's very steady. Heather is a very calm, honest, kind, steadfast person. And Scott is a lot of these things too. I really, really like Scott. Um, it is age inappropriate. He's like 10 years o- older than Sarah. And in a lot of ways, their relationship actually reminds me a lot of um, Bill and Margie's relationship, except mm. he's, he's not, he's not a fundamentalist. He's not even LDS. And because of that, he treats Sarah with more respect than Bill's wives ever get. Yes. <laughs> he does. Which is wild. And that's why I'm like, it's it that's why their relationship is so interesting. I'm like, he's he like he really is, he's completely inappropriate for her, but like completely, completely age inappropriate because Sarah is 16 or 17. She's 17. Sarah's um, and- seven- and he this is, is this hold on really quickly. This is where actually where the show drops the ball because she tells Scott she's 18. But then in the very next episode, when Bill's talking to Sarah, he says, until you're 18 and off to college, you're my responsibility, which implies that Sarah's only 17. Oh, well, I think she I think she purposefully lied to him because she was feeling him from the jump. Yeah, but then when she confesses that she was lying about her name and everything like that, she's and, she, and then she's like, how, he's like, how old are you really? She's like, I'm 18. I didn't lie about that. 
And I'm like, okay, girl. So Scott is between 10 and 11 years older than her. It's really, really inappropriate. This yeah. could have this been a breeding ground for all kinds of abusive predatory behavior. <laughs> predatory behavior. But I mean, to the show's credit, to the actor's credit, it doesn't, it really, it's not. Which I guess maybe, I don't know, in life, sure, maybe that happens. But like, it's not. It's, he, he treats her with a lot of respect and he takes her very seriously. And, and like I said, he'll, he'll be the only really, I think, non-judgmental, um, non-judgmental and, and clear and level-headed force in her life pretty much. Right. And I mean, in real life, the age gap is a bit smaller. There's seven years between Aaron Paul and Amanda Seyfried. Um, and, um, it's clear on the show that he's older than her, but like his character, I guess because of the way that he talks to her and because he treats her as a partner, um, you never get the feeling that there is this like gross power dynamic insofar as age, right? Right. He always speaks to her at like an equal. Um, he doesn't treat her like a child or, you know, use those like um those age tactics of like, oh, you're too unto you're too young to understand this this xyz mm-hmm. um he never talks to her like that and we're kind of rooting for sarah and and scott because sarah is someone who's shown as from season one really coming apart at the seams she's starting to unravel under the pressure of this family that she doesn't even want to be in and the pressure of 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 trying to live out her life normally outside of their home right right And Um, she cares about them all, but she don't want to be married to them all. Right. And she, and it is hard because she, she says that she's like, I love my family. I like, I love Marge, love Nikki, love my, my half brothers and sisters, but I don't, I don't want this. I know that this is something that I actively do not want and nor do I think it's, it's right. Um, And, and, and a credit to Sarah herself is that like, Sarah herself is also a very independent minded person and really does um, act older than she is. Cause, cause when Barb, cause when everything happens with the fallout of Barb, she's like, she also says to Barb, like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to leave? Like, cause if you're going to leave, then you, ha- you just, that's what you just got to do. And Barb just kind of looks at her, <laughs> uh, can also very much view everything that's sort of happening around her in a, I think in a clear way. Right. So what one of the interesting things, and this is a character that I said I wanted to bring up again. In episode four, Roman ends up blaming Adelaide for not being more welcoming to Rhonda um, because Rhonda runs away from them and he threatens to expose Bill. And Adelaide, Ad- Adelaide undermines Bill for the very first time. There's a tape, basically, of a conversation between Roman and Bill that incriminates Bill heavily. And she keeps telling Roman she can't find the tape. And eventually, when Bill calls about the tape, Adelaide tells him there is no tape and destroys it. And we know she's not doing this to protect Bill. She's doing it for Nikki. But she's someone who's never really expressed any love or warmth towards her daughter. Right. Adelaine is so complicated because we can tell a lot of Nikki's behaviors were learned from her. I was like, about to say, they're, they're very <laughs> <similar> people. 
<laughs> right. Like that, that, that I'm going to pretend to be in charge and pretend that everything's under control. Um, the false bravado, you know, she worked her way up to being Roman's favorite um, and being his most trusted wife because she was the most supportive. She, she, you know, says she was the one that told him he could be prophet. And it's implied that she's the one who put the idea into his head of getting rid of Bill's grandfather, um, their first prophet. Um, she has a, a strong position of power, but she she's never lost sight of the fact that the power that she has is a is a side effect of always being in Roman's good graces, right? Right. She knows that you know her position is very very tenuous, so she supports him. And whatever he does, because she gets power and, you know, a bit more freedom than his than his otherwise or the other women on the compound by proxy. In this in this um, season, when Rhonda runs away and she's living with Bill and then she's living in the group home, we really see, like Alex said, a desire and a want in her for more as well. Right. We know that she wants more than just to be one of the prophet's many wives. But she doesn't really have skills that will allow her to thrive out here yet. It's not going to be something immediate. She's smart girl. She can learn things. Right. But, um, for a while she's going to struggle to adjust to the mainstream and bill and Joey better than anyone knows what it's like to struggle outside in the outside world after having been raised on the compound. Right. And to Rhonda's credit, Rhonda does eventually like land on her feet. But like, I was never in doubt that Rhonda was going to land on her feet because Rhonda, like you said, she learns super, super fast. Uh, and I think one of the ways in which we see this is when um, Rhonda like sort of and it's it's it, and it and listen, it's real and it's not in that like Rhonda immediately like cries these like crocodile tears about um you know, Roman and, uh, which is, which is, is real, but you also get the sense of like, and like I said, shout out to like this writing and the acting is so freaking masterful. Um, you get the sense that she is sort of like, she's playing it up. Cause like, right there, all these cameras come and like they interview her and she gets on television and, and later on, like, and even later on when they're sort of shuffling Rhonda between, between like, like from Barb's house to like, she stays with, um, she stays with Scott for a period, you know, and they're sort of hiding her, shuffling her around. Uh, when, when she's staying with Scott, um, she starts screaming and she's screaming and crying and Sarah has to like come over and Sarah gets there and she's screaming and crying through the door and Sarah knocks on the door and Rhonda lets her in and Rhonda immediately is like, Scott, he raped me. He raped me. Like he like told me to like, you know, touch his private parts and, uh, and then, <laughs> and yeah, well, she, to her credit, she said he tried, he tried her, but I'm like, girl, girl like, like, this is why you got cut the first round. First. That was the worst <laughs> acting I've ever seen. She's like, she's like, oh my God, he tried to rape me and like, uh, and and Sarah just kind of like tilts her head and looks at her. And then Sarah just like blows out a sigh and she's like, what do you want? Like, and then Rhonda like drops it immediately. And she's like, listen, I, I want to stay with Heather. Like, I'm tired of this shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, which so is really ugly. But I also think that piece of writing is so smart because like it, 
and not smart, but it's just like, it speaks, there's so much layers in that, that she would specifically use that because it's like, and listen, to be completely and totally perfectly clear, um, believe women. When women say that they're assaulted, believe them and we believe them um, and take their story seriously. But it is interesting when you look at it through the context of white women historically using rape specifically against um, people of color, specifically against black male actors in order to ignite this sort of benevolent sexism that in where white men and society at large will come to save them. It's interesting that Rhonda immediately picks up on that or immediately understands very quickly um, the context of her victimhood um, and the power um, in that victimhood um, and how and her understanding immediately that she can exploit that sort of benevolent sexist ideal in our culture to then try to parlay that into money and and status and in in clout for herself because she learned like in terms of like um and like listen in season two we'll start getting into like some race stuff and like the show does not even kind of know what it needs to do in terms of race like it totally fumbles the bag but it is smart because the fact that Rhonda knows that like a white woman saying that like she's been raped is like the immediate thing that will get you attention or like the immediately immediate thing that will get people to come and like give you things is so smart. Like in a sense. Right. I thought it was really cool that like Heather Scott and Sarah were both very clear that Rhonda was a manipulator and a liar. Right. Um, And she is absolutely playing up this thing for the cameras because when anyone speaks with Rhonda privately, it's very clear that, she does not view herself as a victim. That's not to say that she wasn't a victim on that compound, um, you know, on account of like, you know, being the next child bride in line. But she really like got off on the idea of marrying the prophet. Um, the issue is that she knew that these people wanted to see her as a victim. So she played up these ideals and these constructs of trauma for attention. It's like, look, if I can't get attention as an actress, then I will get attention as a professional victim, basically. Um, And we have that journalist, right, who was raised on a similar compound, who basically sees all of them as victims. She sees Rhonda as a victim. She sees Nikki as a victim. And they are, to an extent, right? Everyone on the compound is to varying extents, especially the women. Um, But, um, just not the way that she thinks they are. Right. Like, it's just a credit. It's such a credit to the show that like, um, and it's one of the things that I love about this show and that it, in that it can, and I think it does accurately portray like what it is to be like a complicated victim. You know, you can be a victim, but like, you can still be an asshole. Like, <laughs> um, right. And your victim is a, and like you're, victimization and or in your in the things that were done to you matters but like what you do personally also matters as well once you're Mm -hmm. at that situation and I think that is I think writing that like 
writing out those ideas in a very fair way is is an extremely hard thing to do. And I think, uh, and I think acting out and I think the acting having to, to take that material and then act it out properly is an extremely hard thing to do. So it's, it's just such a credit to the show. I absolutely agree. So I want to talk about, um, one of the bigger, um, things. Well, one minor and one bigger. The first is the minor that Wayne quote unquote runs away. He doesn't run very far, but when Wayne runs away, Bill is so angry, right? Because he has to go looking for his son, telling the neighbors that it's it's his neighbor's son that's missing. He can't even claim his relationship to his own son in this neighborhood, right? Right. And and Nikki's frustrated by it too, but this is the first time Bill has ever gotten a taste of what it's like for his second and third wives who can't claim him and whose children can't claim him in public, right? Right. And finally, it resolves the issue of Wayne going to Catholic school because the Catholic school is so far away that Bill can finally claim Wayne and Nikki in public. Right. So I thought that was a, a really great turn. It's something that's resolved within one season. Now, the larger plot is Anna, who would become Bill's fourth wife. We meet right. her in season two. Marjean realizes that Bill's seeing someone and she basically sets herself up to meet Anna as well without Bill's knowledge or consent and without Anna having any knowledge that she is married to Bill. The whole thing was, the manipulation levels were something that Nikki and Adelaide would be proud of, to be honest with you. They would Um, be. I I don't even think Marge knew that that's what she was doing, but that's absolutely what it was. Um, Poor Marge. Marge just wanted... (laughs) Marge just wanted what? She just wanted a friend. (laughs) She did. She did. But she was absolutely trying to manipulate this relationship between Anna and Bill and towards the end, force a relationship, right? Because Bill and Anna get along and Bill and Anna have chemistry. That alone does not marriage material make. (laughs) Right. Which, once again, we circle back to this idea of like, lust does not equal love, right? Um, Bill is super into, like, Bill is, I think, is just, like, turned on by her. And, like, Anna is very, like, sexy. Like, you know, Anna definitely, like, um, has, like, a vibe about her, you know? She is, like, this diner and this waitress, but, like, she's very sharp-minded. Um, she's got this great, sexy, like, Eastern European accent that's happening. And she, she's just, you know doing and you know she's she's doing her own thing which is always i think you know always great it's interesting because um later on it's revealed that the wives that get along best with anna are barb and marjean and i thought that was so fitting because um anna really has the best qualities of barb and marjean (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, she has a lot she has a lot of wit she has a lot of sex appeal she has a lot of charm also, she's very sharp. She's a quick learner. Um, she knows how to comport herself in public spaces. Like, just v- really the best qualities of his second and third wife. I can see him gravitating to someone like that. But, and I must reiterate, these are the same qualities you already have in your first and third wife. <laughs> like, why do you need a fourth wife? <laughs> why do you need one? You don't. Um, Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, you can't just be wifing up everybody that remind you of someone you love. <laughs> That's not how they work. That's not how that works. 
It is how it works. Um, so something really quick I want to talk about that happens in season two is I want to talk about um, the, the episode where Barb's mom is, like, getting remarried. It's an episode where we sort of go deeper into Barb and Barb's life. But basically, Barb's mom is getting remarried, and her sister calls. And the sister, you know... Um, Either or is it the sister or the mom? It might be the mom. I might be getting it mixed up. My my apologies if I am. But either the mom or the either Barb's mom or her or her sister calls. And the way that they spin it is that like Barb and Barb's kids are invited to this wedding. Just the kids, actually. No, I'm saying the way that they spin it on the phone mm. makes it sound like Barb and Barb's kids are invited. So then when Barb shows up, they do this super ugly thing where um, she goes, oh, no, 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 no. Like, it's just the kids. Like, you're not supposed to be here. And, like, Barb's face (laughs) when she hears it is like, oh, God, it's so ugly. It's devastating. And she basically, she's forced to crash her mom's own wedding. (laughs) They do. They try to kick her out. And she's like, no. Like, and she goes, I was under the, you made it sound like I was supposed to be here. I'm going to stay. And, you know, everybody does this thing. It's like, do you want to make a scene at your own mother's wedding? And then Nikki, because like Nikki's the, like Nikki has never found, Nikki does not know what it means to mind her own business. (laughs) Um, Has like secretly like followed them to this wedding and then calls Bill on the phone. (laughs) And Mm. is like, get down here. Um, right. Which is nuts, which makes like the whole thing go like even more nuts. So, um, but, uh, I just bring it up because it's, um, it's ugly, it's ugly and it's, it's interesting. And also it's just interesting to see the dynamic between Barb's sister, particularly Barb's sister who passes her off as who likes to pass herself off as like this, um, saint when she's, uh, when she's like, um, Like when she's collecting children from other countries that are like, oh my god, Barb's sister is super. Barb's sister is super annoying. Like she flaunts like the Asian daughter that she and her husband bought or adopted, and like she makes the most racist comment. She's like, in a year's time, I'll have her saying y'all, and like it gets off on how well um she's helped her Asian daughter assimilate into this like foreign culture but it's very clear Barb's sister is jealous of her and that Barb was very clearly their mother's favorite prior to becoming a polygamist and now as much as she wants Barb to leave polygamy behind she enjoys being the the favorite now right right but that phone conversation was interesting because most people would assume that they were invited but the way the conversation was worded it's never directly stated that Barb is invited, right? It's just something that you could, it's an it's a assumption that you could, like, it's the natural assumption to make. And that's why I hated what her sister did so much, because she was clearly gaslighting the fuck out of her. She was. <laughs> she gaslighted the fuck out of her. And it's, and, it, and it's even more awful because it's like, you know Barb misses, like, misses her family and the fact that they called her, Right. Cause I, cause I'm sure she's called, cause the show sort of alludes that like she's called many times, but her mother refuses. Right. Um, like this family is like, has disowned her and, but they call her and they call her and they're like, we want to make amends. 
we want to like, we don't want, we want to like at least try, which when you use that kind of language, it's like, of course you're assuming that you're invited as well. Right. So what her sister says is something along the lines of, we would like you to bring the kids to the wedding, which one would naturally assume me and the kids are going, right? But but the other way to read that sentence is, we want you to bring the kids to the wedding, which reads as of, we want you to drop them kids off and dip. And dip, like, they're not. Which 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 is like, why would she ever assume that, right? She's not the nanny. She's your daughter. (laughs) Oh gosh, it's so it's so ugly. Um, but also, and I mean, this is where, where I love Nikki. Honestly, every time we have to interact with Barb's mom and especially her sister, I love Nikki because she and Barb have their problems. All the sister wives do, but she ain't gonna let nobody talk shit about Barb. She's not gonna let nobody disrespect Barb. <laughs> right, 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 right. She's gonna go to bat, which is what. Which is also why you like you love Nikki. Like Nikki's gonna Nikki's gonna fight anybody. Nikki's got smoke for everybody. Like when Albie shows up to the house threatening the family, she's like, listen, you ever show up at my family's house again, I will kill you. You like don't don't you ever. Don't do this. Don't do this ever again. Don't make that mistake. Like Nikki's not one to be fucked with. When the chips are down, you definitely want her fighting on your side and not against you. <laughs> um, um but this is this this is around the wedding time is when um you know Barb calls her mom and basically tells her mom like Ben wants to be a polygamist. I'm not down with this shit. I want you to take him for the summer. And it's crazy because you're living in polygamy, but she wants your mom to basically um reprogram your son for you to be anti-polygamy. Right. Right. She's like, uh, Barb, Barb. That, that shit was, it's like, Barb, honey, you know this is not okay. You have to know that. Like, yeah, you have to. There's no way. Oh, and then season two, there's also, season two further um, goes goes even, goes like a bit further in this, uh, this Ben and Marjane plot. Like, we, there's a bit more, like, rumblings of it. Mm-hmm. Um in that, like, yeah, and like the way it's ugh, the way it's played, and I love it because I think this direction is actually the direction is is really good, and in the way that the act and the way that they they choreograph the actors is really good. Um, it's I think they're in a I want yeah, it's they're in like a pool or something. Oh yeah, so what Barb's like a friend of Barb's like the other friend who knows that they're like polygamists comes over and Marjean and, and Ben are like messing around in this pool. And the woman even says like, do you, can your kids like keep it down? But it's, it's Marjean and Ben and, and they're messing around like, and it's in, in a goofy way, but in that goofy way that like feels really reminiscent of like two teenagers who are like maybe dating Yes, it, it 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 just reeked of middle school crush to me. Yeah, um. <laughs> and 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 Mar- and Barb is like is um she and credit to her she doesn't let she doesn't let her face show it when she or when she goes back to like her friend she doesn't show it on her face but and when she talks to Marjean at first she doesn't show it on her face but Barb is kind of shook and it's not the first time either and in season first- one when like Margie is walking around the house and these 
tiny, tiny little robes and she's hugging all over Ben. Like, like Barb looks visibly alarmed. Alarmed. Then Barb has like a, so then, but this time Barb like has a conversation uh, with her. She's like, I'm concerned about you and Ben. And Marge is like, I'm disgusted. Like, how dare you? Like, I think of myself as his mother. Like, and, and yeah, but that will, that will turn. Right. I mean, at this point, it's, we can still give Marjane the benefit of the doubt that she's just a very gregarious, flirtatious person. And that, that Ben is the one who has feelings for her, feelings that are not reciprocated. And she's really trying to sell this idea. But by season three, we realize it's not just Ben. Right. What's interesting about that relationship is that um, Marjane, at the age that she has given the family to be, is only five years older than Ben. She is much more age appropriate for him than for his father. And so it kind of brings us back to why Bill and Joey and their uncle Eddie were all kicked off the compound. This is actually a very common thing in fundamentalist LDS communities where older, more powerful men will literally throw boys off the compound so that they have less competition for the younger wives. Right, because obviously, like, if you're... And particularly on the compound, right? Because if you're, like, an old elder and you just probably sit around all day, you and you're sitting around all day just, like, accounting or doing whatever... You're not, like, one of these, like, 19 or, like, 17 or 20-year-old boys who are, like, you know, lifting huge barrels of potatoes or, you know, doing hard labor, right? Mm-hmm. And, right. Because in, in, con- it's a compound, so, like, they try, I guess, at their best to grow their own food and stuff and, and their chores and things to be done. So you're not doing that work anymore. So your body is not, like, <laughs> Right. Right. And you're just, and you're old. Like, even if your body was like amazing, you're going to take the amazing body young man or the amazing body old man. It's not a hard choice. Hard choice. And, you know, basically you have a bunch of hebophiles who are no longer attracted to their older wives because the wives have gotten older just as the husband has. And they want a younger, new, a new younger wife. Or maybe they're not a hebophile. Maybe they're just power mad. And how many wives you have is a direct reflection of how much money you have. Right. Right. So they just want they just want to collect more wives. Um and you can't do that when you have all these young, virile young men running around. So he and Joey and Eddie essentially became, you know, what are the lost boys. And the lost boys are a very real thing. Boys kicked off these compounds, have no means of navigating the outside world. And without direct help and support, you know, will fall to the wayside. You know, this is how Joey developed his alcoholism was when he was kicked out the first time. Right. One of the other bigger plots that happens this season is um, this Weber game video, like Weber video game plot uh, that happens, uh, and or like the, yeah, the it's like in the mid stages, and also Nikki develops a full blown gambling addiction. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's definitely in the early stages of it. You can tell she's yeah. very interested. <laughs> she's very interested because when Bill goes to sort of like sell this idea of the game, because like they're Barb uh, is not cool with this this gambling thing um, from like a moral standpoint. 
Right, because Mormons don't gamble. It's against their religion. That's why when a Mormon wants to gamble, they have to cross state lines and do it in Nevada um, because like, um, gambling is actually outlawed in the state of Utah because LDS runs the state. Um, so Weber Gaming provides like casino games, and apparently Roman had had his eye on the very same thing. And this is where we meet another polygamous um, family, the Greens, run by Hollis Green, who are very, very large and very, very deadly. And apparently they've been in hiding in New Mexico, hiding from authorities. Right. But now they're back to, like, do some damage, and it's not pretty. And the Greens are super interesting. Um, the Greens... <laughs> yeah, they're essentially, like, the the fun- the F, the fundamentalist mafia. Um, and... Something that is actually super interesting about the Greens is Selma. And uh, something that will continue to be interesting, I think, about Big Love in general, is that there there are all these, like, queer underpinnings in the show. And we see one in in the Greens and in Selma. She's she's the wife to Hollis Green, but she um, is... And they don't make it clear if she... And I say she because they don't, the show never really makes it clear if she considers herself like a they or them, um, like, or, or non-binary, but she does like, uh, is mask present, uh, mask presenting. She wears suits. Yeah. She keeps her hair short and pinned up and not short in the way that Lois does, but a very, but she styles it like the men do. Always in suits, always very ma- very mask presenting, and is not feminine uh, in in any sort of way, really. Yeah, I always got the impression that Sarah was a trans man. Um, mm, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if she ever heard the term transgender or knows what that is. I mean, it's clear that they know what homosexuals are, right? Right. But I don't think she's ever heard the term transgender. But for me, that was very clearly what she was. Like, she was a gay trans man. Because it's very clear that she loves Hollis and loves their relationship. And that Hollis has a lot of love and a lot of respect for her, actually. Or, But I felt like um, someone might not be a she. I think someone might be a he. The interesting thing about Selma is that Selma is um, sibling to Roman Grant. So she's stuck between two very powerful men. And Hollis and Roman do not get along. Right. They are at constant odds with each other. Yeah. um, So she and Roman have the same parents. And this is revealed in um, the next season. And um, there's a scene where... And this is why I felt that she might not be non-binary um, because he basically makes her wear a dress, not change her hair or anything like that, but he makes her wear a dress. She's deeply uncomfortable to the point of looking pained while right. wearing that dress. <laughs> right. I think she even, she even like, um, she starts to choke up a bit. She has to keep herself, um, or he has to keep himself from like, you know, crying. Right. Like, right. Think, yeah. And this is where, and we've had this conversation before, where even if people don't have the 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 the, the vernacular um and um or like the um, the education to express an ideal, that doesn't mean that the idea or that feeling doesn't exist, right? Like just right. because she's never heard of a transgender or non-binary before doesn't mean that Selma 
um, might not very well be um, a trans man or a non-binary person. Right. Um, and Selma's just one of like many sort of queer underpinnings that will like happen in the show. I think we find mm-hmm. out, we also find out that Albie, Nikki's brother, is, is gay. Yeah, that's that's something that they also like breadcrumbed, right? They they right. strung Albie's sexual um, preferences along for a long time. Now, I don't know if Albie is gay or bisexual because they do tell us that he they do basically make it clear he has a very strong relationship with his wife Laura, who is his closest wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what their sex life is like. I do know that they have children. I do know that she feels very close to him, but whatever attraction he has to men is clearly something he's never been able to act on on the compound, but it's something that Nikki knows and it's mm-hmm. something that his mother knows. <laughs> I only say gay because there is, he does have that right, that one wife that he's very close to, but theirs is very much feels like a friendship. And then there is the other wife he has who runs into that office and she like is in tears and she is completely distressed because she's never had a baby by him ever. And he right, won't, right. And he, won't, and he will not have sex with her. And but and she is dis- and she is just complete and she and she's str- she's completely like stressed herself to the hilt over it. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's that's actually a really great point. I hadn't remembered that, but as soon as you said it, I'm like, that makes perfect sense. Um, it's implied that Roman knows, and we know for a fact that Nikki and Adelaide um, know that he's attracted to men um, and that Albie's like gay. But wh- whereas Nikki, to her credit, just knows it, accepts it, and th- hasn't told anyone, not even her, her own husband. Adeline, um, when she feels that Roman's position might be usurped, tries to use this information to her own advantage and sets her own son up to be killed. Right. (laughs) Like, Adeline, if if Barb is mother of the year, Adeline is, like, the worst, like, indisputably the worst mom on the show is Adeline. (laughs) But you know what? It makes sense to me only in that, and and this comes back to what you were saying about how, like, Nikki and Adelaide are very similar people, and that, like, Nikki is, like, a ride or die, right? Mm-hmm. But so was like Nikki is ride or die for Bill and her family. Adelaide is Nick is also ride or die for but for Roman. Right. But the difference is that even when after Albie showed up to the house to threaten the family, even after Albie put snakes in um Barb and Bill's bed, Nikki still kept his secret. Right? Mm, but, true. And then and then Adelaine just, like, runs with this shit. Like, you know what? I know he's my own flesh and blood. I know I gave birth to this motherfucker, but fuck him. <laughs> like, like, I'm just going to throw him under the bus to save my husband. Like, Adelaide is so deep in the Roman Grant sauce, you guys. She drunk all the Kool-Aid. <laughs> right. So, another thing we'll see in season two is, like, um, due to this sort of Weber gaming plot, I think we'll really start to see um, Bill change in terms of being more power hungry. He's more power hungry. He he'll he'll start to be slightly more controlling. He definitely changes from the bill in in season one to a more like I want what I want when I want it, how I want it right now. Um uh, and I think it, it's particularly visible in this sort of like uh episode uh, where he takes Marge to this like meeting um, where they're sort of 
charming these these Weber game people. And he in in like a move that's really gross, um, and like a power play, he uh sort of he outs himself as a, a as a polygamist, but in a it's in a very it's in a way that's very like I own these women versus like these are my wives that do things with me. Right. So this all all of this happens in in season two. So there, it, it's a lot, but you know. Marjean doesn't see it as a power move that it is because this is something she had literally begged Bill for. She's like, let me be your Nevada wife. You know, Barb got to be his wife in most of Utah. Nikki gets to be his wife at Wayne's school, but she never really got a place to be his wife. And she's really good at these negotiations because she's very charming. And she wanted to be the Nevada wife. She wanted to be claimed. But because he ran into a couple that he and Barb knows, he called Barb over out to Nevada to save face. And so it did he while Barb is deeply uncomfortable because she recognizes what's happening, Marjean is just super excited to finally be claimed in public. Like she just want to be chose, you guys. Right. And I <laughs> like, think she wants to be chose. And I think later on when like in the episode when she gets into bed with Barb, she's like, it's not as bad as like you think it is. Like or she says something on the lines of like, it's not as bad as you think it is to be like an object or something. Or she says something along the lines of like something along the lines of that, or like, let me, yeah, let me, I, I don't care. I don't care being this sort of like symbol versus a person and you, mm-hmm. and you do care. This makes you uncomfortable. So let me, let me do this. Cause I I'm, I'm fine with this. I mean, I don't even think she was talking about herself as a person, but more Weber gambling. Like, she's like, I don't have the problem with gambling that you do, so let me do this. I don't even think that Marjean fully realizes the ways that um, she is tokenized in that respect until season three, actually, right? Do you think so? Because when Anna first enters the picture, she does say, like, she does, like, she does... I think Mar- there are flickers of it because when Anna is first introduced, Margie does like ask Bill, like, do you just like me? Like, she's like, do you just like me? Because like, I like to fuck a lot. Like, cause I'm like mm-hmm. the new, cause she's like, am I, cause I'm the new one because even newness, like newness eventually gets old and Bill like lies. I mean, you know, and Bill, like, I mean, he was lying to himself, but like, he's like, no, that's not the only reason. But like, it is the reason. Like, she's the hot one, right? She's young, she's pretty, and she has a very strong sex drive, even higher than Bill's. Um, and you know, I see this with all the wives, though. They have flickers and moments of clarity, or we see them gradually growing to like very solid conclusions, right? Um, Barb has hers for most of season one and two. Um, Marge has hers between seasons um, two and four. And I think Nikki has hers between seasons three and five, mm-hmm. where they start questioning the relationship and their role in his life. But, you know, in the early stages of this, she was really just all in. Like, I really, I really stand by this business. I really believe in it. I don't have a problem with gambling. Again, Marge was raised Catholic. They don't have some sort of like refer- referendum on on gambling, and she just wants a place to be public with him. She doesn't see, like, just like Marge. 
um, just like, excuse me, just like Barb gives him clout in the mainstream LDS community, Marge gives him a lot of clout with, um, these, in these business dealings, um, with the Native Americans that he is in business with. And she legitimizes him in a, in the same way that Barb does back home. Right. No, that's right. That's right. Um, Anyway. And so all of these wives give Bill something really, really fundamental. And I just hate to see sometimes how he takes he takes their contributions for granted. <laughs> he really does. He he abs like no, I mean that is if there's the one consistent thing with Bill, like that's that's it, that he takes um their contributions uh, completely uh for granted. Um really quickly I wanted to talk about um um, Bill and Joey's mom, Lois, which is a character who, again, one of the many complicated characters. Love Lois. Lois. Is, I love Lois. I love Lois so much. In fact, one of the one of the times when Barb really pissed me off is like when Lois is yelling about to Frank about something, which he deserved, and like Barb gets in the middle of it, and I'm like. This man was in your house, season one. You see how badly he treats his children, how badly he treats his other wives. Like, why are you taking up for him? If there was a character that I could, like, label as long-suffering, it would definitely be Lois, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, she went from being the prophet's daughter to being a penniless nobody. Then she was married off to this man. Um, she was Frank's second wife, and who wooed her, but basically didn't want any woman who had a mind of her own. And the only reason his otherwise get along with him so well is because they basically have the most submissive personalities, which she never has. Lois is a hustler. In season two, um, she goes into business with her brother, brother Eddie at a laundromat and is cleaning up. But of course, Frank shows up to fuck up her life yet again. <laughs> um, she really loves her son and she, her, both of her sons. And she's someone who showcases a stiff upper lip. She doesn't talk about how much it hurt her when they were kicked off of the compound. But we see that it's something that still hurts her and that she has a lot of guilt about to this day. And it's part of the reason why she is so tender and patient with Joey's wife, Wanda. Right. Because I think she feels like she owes her son this. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the relationship between Lois and, and her husband is, is a very interesting one because she loves him, but he's, he's abusive. And you, you sort of see the way that she's had to learn to like fight him over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, and it manifests and it manifests. And then he's also like, but, and then he's like so good for nothing. Cause he only even comes back around when he kind of hears a rumor that like, she might have some money on hand. Um, that's when he like pops back up into her life again. So it's ugh, right. It's and even, and they were legally married, right? Cause in season one, his first wife dies and she assumes a second wife. They can now be legally married, but because he loves to shit on her, he asked Nita, his third wife to become his legal wife. And it's not that she wants to be Frank's legal wife so badly, but because she was passed over, this shames her in front of the rest of the community, right? right? And then he only ends up marrying her when Bill literally pays him to. All she wanted was to not be embarrassed in front of the community. It's not like she was, like, lusting after Frank like that. Um, <laughs> she really does love Frank, but she knows he's a piece of shit, and that's why she lives separately from him and the other wives. And we see when he, they were in Bill's house briefly how the other wives will, like, always take up for him, right? They always right. defend him no matter what fuckery he does. So, like, like 
they're just as abusive in a way as Frank is, as far as Lois is concerned, because no one's ever on her side. And I can't imagine how isolating it must be to be in that environment and then have your children and your younger brother kicked off too. So you have no family and there's no one left. Like, I can't imagine what Lois went through. <laughs> right. That would, that, I, I mean, that's, it, it sucks. It just like, ugh, yucks. Yucks. Lois needs yikes. some help. She's, ugh, she, she been through, she been through it. Like all her life she had to fight. She all. <laughs> 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 Oh gosh. Um anyway, so season two. Season two ends with uh in O Pioneers, episode twelve. And the big thing that will sort of take us off is um actually it's it's a pretty is that like uh Roman will show up to to the house because I think he's now like on the run. Roman and 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 Adelaide will show up to the house um because yeah he's on the run from the authorities and that will take us into and that's eventually what will take us into season three um which will then see like the whole sort of crumbling of of roman and, and the fundamentalists and and yeah so that's oh and i need to correct something i said earlier um adeline is not roman's third wife she's his sixth wife <laughs> Six. Okay, so she really, she really climbed the ladder, girl. She needs to like teach these girls, do a master class. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she really climbed that social ladder to be the favorite. <clears throat> uh, and there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the first two seasons of Big Love good, bad, and basic. If you'd like to rewatch or relive this series, Big Love is currently streaming on Hulu with the HBO add-on. Big Love gave us a fictionalized version of fundamentalist LDL church and its practitioners, a deeply polarizing narrative for people on both sides of the story, and it turned it into network gold, crafting characters that were memorable and surprisingly relatable. Patrons, be sure to check out the GBB Big Love Spotify playlist and join us next week when we'll be exploring seasons three through five of this unlikely hit. Until then, our top tier patrons can tune into our next music video retrospective, focusing on the late, the great Aaliyah. We'll be we'll be discussing Aaliyah's style, vision, cutting edge direction, and the aesthetic that continues to be an inspiration. If you're not on this tier yet, level up. The episode goes live this Saturday. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Be sure to follow us at Good Bad Basic Pod on Twitter. And of course, follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, where all of our social media links are listed. Until next time. Bye, Bye everyone. Mm-hmm.